So we're starting a new series of sermons, kind of our Easter series, and we're focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here is the most fundamental, uh, most important, vital idea of the Christian good news is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Jesus was buried. And on the third day, Jesus was raised by the power of God. Jesus is risen. Now, as Christians, what we believe is that uh, ultimately the reason why Jesus defeated death is so that you and I could have new life. Scriptures over and over again say something like, you know, um, because we believe in Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's at work in the lives of believers. Um, we like to say things like, we have new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean when Christians say, hey, we have new life in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is that just kind of some kind of spiritual talk? Is that, you know, some kind of like abstract idea kind of out there in la-la land of religiosity? I mean, what does it mean to say that we have new life in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what this series is about. That's what this series of sermons is about. Now, today, what we mean by life in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that we have hope in suffering. We have hope in suffering because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me come to our passage for today. Let me read a couple of verses that will get us started and then we'll talk about hope in suffering. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now let's skip down to verse 6. It says in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In other words, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even though we're grieved by various trials. By various trials. I don't know about you, but I hate trials. How many of y'all hate it when your circumstances just fall apart on you? You know what I mean? How many of y'all hate it when, like, the plan doesn't come together or what you penciled in in the calendar doesn't happen or when the person doesn't come through or maybe even something worse? We hate it when we suffer. Now, what I've realized about my life, and just to be vulnerable with you, one of the reasons why I hate adversity is not just because adversity kind of just is a bummer, but I hate it because adversity often reveals what's on the inside of me. In other words, it's easy for me to suppress the flaws of my heart and my mind when things are going well, but guess what? When adversity comes, my inside comes to the outside. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
It's easy to say, yeah, man, I, I, I'm not angry and I got a smile on my face and I'm at church and everything like that. But then suffering comes and the angry part I've been suppressing comes out. Or if I've got greed in my heart and I go through adversity, greed begins to come out. And the truth is, is that I really don't want to know what's on the inside of my life. And frankly, I don't want anybody else to know what's on the inside of my life. I would rather people just see the part of me that I want them to see, but not the part that's really me. Trials have a way of bringing out what's the real story. And as human beings, we have a decision to make. Either we can say, I'm going to just ignore the suffering. I'm going to run as far away from adversity and act like it's not happening. Or... We can actually begin to deal with ourselves in the midst of suffering. It can become a great gift. It can be something that, that is used in our life to refine who we are becoming. The Christian message of Jesus Christ is that through the resurrection of Jesus, we get something called the living hope. And as we work on hope in the midst of suffering, we become shaped to be more like Christ and to deal with those parts of our lives that need to be dealt with. You see, Peter says here, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what is hope? Hope is future assurance. It's called a living hope because it's not like a wish that, you know, the, the chances get better, or my luck gets better, or I hope so, I hope it works out. Living hope is a divine gift of confidence and future assurance, even in the midst of the storm. And Peter is writing to a whole bunch of Christians living out in what, what today would be considered modern Turkey. They're going through suffering. They're going through adversity. They're going through affliction. And Peter is inviting them to walk in a living hope in the midst of their suffering through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's inviting them to, to work on, how, on, on strengthening their future assurance and confidence in God in the midst of their suffering. And what's interesting about this letter, this letter that Peter wrote to all those suffering Christians all the way back 2,000 years ago, is he never once says in this letter that their problems are going to go away. He never once says, if you believe in Jesus, everything will automatically get better. What he does say is that as we walk in hope, we become strong on the inside even when the outside of us is falling apart. And beloved, that's what we need more than anything else. You know what we need? We need hope. We need the Christian discipline. It's a forgotten Christian ancient discipline of being able to dance in the rain. Being able to get stronger in the suffering. Being able to persevere through the storm. Being able to take one step at a time and not fall apart when everything around us is falling apart. And so how do we do that? How do we strengthen hope in the midst of suffering? How do we walk in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the midst of our suffering? And Peter says, there's one thing you do. You need to praise God in the pain. Learn to praise God in the pain. 
If you and I can learn to praise God in the pain, then we will be transformed. The pain will no longer become our enemy. It will become our friend making us new people, making us the kind of people that God is making in this world. Can you and I learn the gift and the grace of being able to praise and bless and give thanks to God when nothing is going right? Can we learn the miracle of joy in Christ when there's nothing to be happy about? Can we learn this unique angle of Christianity that gives us hope in the midst of suffering? It's a unique gift. And I believe it can't be found anywhere else except for in the good news of Jesus Christ. Say, so, okay, I'm in. Let's talk about that. Praising God in the pain. Praising God in the pain cultivates a living hope in the midst of suffering. How do I do that? Well, Peter gives us three ways, three important ways to praise God in the pain. The first thing he says is, praise God for the assurance of your salvation in the midst of your suffering. Praise God for the assurance. Everybody say assurance. The assurance of your salvation in the midst of pain. All right, let's start teaching the Bible here. Let's look at verse 3. Now note this. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Peter doesn't feel sorry for him. He knows they're suffering. He knows they're going through pain. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry. It's so bad for you. No, no, no. What he says is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Note what he's talking about. He's saying, hey guys, listen, I know your life is tough. I know it's difficult. I know that you're going through trials, but here's what you need to do. You need to stop and praise God for the assurance of your salvation. Note he talks about that, we, that God has caused us to be born again. Note that he, he says that, that God keeps this inheritance for us. Note that he says that God is guarding with his power our future inheritance of the kingdom of God that's coming. Well, there'll be no pain and no sorrow. There'll be a new heavens and the new earth. All of creation will be renewed at the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that God does it all. In fact, he notes a Christian salvation, their past experience in, in salvation. They've been born again. Their present experience in salvation, it's being kept by God. And their future salvation, it will be guarded by the power of God. In other words, what makes us right with God? This is important in the midst of suffering. What makes you right with God? Is it your strength? Is it your religion? Is it your money or your car? What gives you confidence in being right with God? Is it your circumstances? Is it how tall you are or how short you are? Can I get a hallelujah? What makes us right with God? What gives us assurance that God loves us? 
If my circumstances are going right, does that mean that God loves me more on those days than he loves me on days when things aren't going right? You know what Peter's telling them? He's saying what gives you assurance in being right with God has nothing to do with your circumstances or your strength. Whether you walk or whether you're paralyzed, whether you're rich or you're poor, what gives you assurance in your relationship with God is the strength He has to save you. What makes you right is based on what God has done and is doing in your life, not what you are doing for God or what's happening in your life. Why is that important? Because in our culture, the way we define relationships... And especially spiritual relationships. Is we define spiritual relationships and God's perspective about us based on whether we're blessed or not. Well, God must like me because I do have a nice car. God must like me because I am healthy. God must like me because I have money. God must like me because I never have gone through abuse or pain. I never have anxiety attacks. I never get depressed. I'm really religious. Like my assurance with God is so based on what's happening on the outside of me. And can I tell you that the most important thing God does in your life is not what he does for you, but what he's doing in you. And you and I must reject an American gospel. We must reject with all of our might any teaching that would come and say, well, God's blessed you if everything's healthy and wealthy and prosperous and all good. Then God must really like you. In fact, sometimes God loves those who suffer more than he loves those who don't. Peter's saying, look at your salvation. Look at your past. Joshua, look at that 17-year-old kid who was stuck on stubborn, who was lost in darkness, who was following the way of the world. And there I am in my bedroom in the second story of 628 Markwell Street in Oklahoma City in the suburbs. And my room is plastered with posters of luxury sports cars. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now I was lost as all can be. And boom, like a wind. Because Jesus said being born again is like a wind. And the Spirit comes. And you can't control the wind. You can't control whether the wind is cold or hot. You can't control a windy day or a calm day. The wind just comes. And that's how the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit just came like a wind into my life and swept over my heart. And I went from dead spiritually to alive spiritually to awaken that Jesus was my Savior. And I gave my life. I was born again because God caused me to be born again. I didn't become a Christian because I was good enough or smart enough. Certainly not smart enough. I didn't become a Christian because I became religious. I became a Christian because the spirit of the living God took my spiritual dry bones of my heart and he gave me flesh to love God. And no one becomes a Christian any other way. You can't reason with a human being and make them a Christian any more than you can go to a cemetery and convince dead bones in the ground to come up out of that grave and to live again. All human beings are dead towards God. We have no love for God. All are unrighteous and lost. 
And the only thing that can give a human being spiritual life is the spirit of the living God through the preaching of the gospel. And boom, like a wind, we come alive to Jesus Christ. It is no less of a miracle than Lazarus coming out of his tomb. And Peter says, man, when you look back and you see that God awakened your dead life towards him and gave you life, you can be sure that you are assured in your salvation. And that same God that causes us to be born again to a living hope is the same God who keeps our salvation, who guards it to the end. Praise God for the assurance of our salvation. That's what God wants to give us. Assurance. Assurance. There's kind of doctrines that, that are talked about, like eternal security. How many of you have heard the phrase eternal security? It's kind of, okay, cool. So the dogma of our church, in particular, the doctrine is, is that once you're born again and you believe in Jesus Christ, you're guaranteed eternal life based upon the work of Jesus alone. That's security. But assurance is different because what assurance is, is assurance is the experience of security. Security is God's perspective. He looks at us as believers, and whether we feel like it or not, He loves us. We are secure by faith in Jesus Christ. But assurance are those moments of the Holy Spirit when my heart begins to leap and feel the confidence and the hope of my security in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's wanting to give these people. That's what God's wanting to give you. God wants to give you assurance in your relationship with him no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what you're going through. I think about it like uh, this week has kind of been birthday week for us. So Sherry's birthday uh, was April 2nd, so happy birthday to her. Our first date was on her birthday. Can I get an amen? So I've known her now for 23 years. And then April 4th is Allison's birthday, one of my daughters, so it's been birthday week. And what we do with our birthdays is we have like birthday tables and we set up like a, a, and we decorate it, and we decorate it according to a theme. So whatever the person is passionate about at that time will set up the birthday table and they wake up and they come and see their theme and they don't know what it is and it's a big surprise and it's this great thing that we do. But the other thing I always do with my girls on their birthday is I tell them their story. I tell them their story. And I always say something like, I always say it like, baby, you know, because that's the way I talk, like, baby, here's what happened. I was in love with your mom. And one time I kissed her, and by some kind of miracle, she got pregnant. And what happened is she carried you for nine months, and she did it so well. It was really hard on me, but it was easy for her. And then you were born. And the doctor handed you to me and put you in my arms. And I looked down at you. I said, this is my girl. And then what happens, they put you in this big room with all these other babies and there was a big window and I grabbed your sisters and I took your sisters and I took them up to that room and I pointed to you and out of all the babies, we knew that you belonged to us because you were my daughter. And I said to your sisters, there's your new baby sister and they too fell in love with you. And then they put us in this small room, the size of a closet. I've never seen a hospital room so small. And there we were all night long. And I was taking Hebrew at seminary. And I was studying for an exam that I had to do the next day. And we were cramped in this closet-like room. And I looked down at you all through the night. And I said, she's mine. 
I love this girl. What am I doing? I'm giving her assurance. Assurance that I love her. Assurance that she belongs to me. And what Peter is doing is he's saying, man, when you're going through pain, especially when you're going through pain, you need to praise God for the assurance of your salvation. And what do we mean by salvation? A God in heaven who's our father who gave us his son, who looks over us and says, I remember when you were a 17-year-old kid. I remember you sitting in that room confused. I remember when you were lost and I came and I loved you and I grabbed you and I called you by name and I redeemed you and reconciled you. You belong to me. You are my son you are my child praise God praise God for the assurance of God's love for me praise God that if everybody else hated me God loves me and that is enough praise God that if the mountains shake and everything falls apart I've got the love of God set on me he loves me praise God for the assurance of your salvation that will give you hope and suffering You've got to find passages in the Bible to do this. You know, like, how do I praise God for the assurance of salvation? Man, find some, find some Bible passages. Get some attitude with your Bible reading. Get some attitude with your Bible reading. And go find those passages that are banners of God's love over you. He loves you. One of them might be something like Zephaniah chapter 3. God's singing over us his love. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 17 and following. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will, watch this, he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and the renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord your God. Can you believe that? It, that is saying that God is singing over me. God is singing over you. I don't, I'm sorry I jumped like that. I'm sorry. God is singing over us. It says he will quiet you. He will quiet you with, your, with his love. Who, what human being doesn't need that? Can you find one human being on planet earth that doesn't need God to sing over them his love. And when you're in the rain, you want to dance in the rain, man? You want to praise God when it hurts so bad? Praise God for the assurance of your salvation. That's what Peter's saying. But no, we have to keep going because we might get accused of staying too abstract. Like, oh yeah, praise God. You know, for the assurance of salvation and being born again. I get it. I get it. I'm just supposed to just love that I'm going to heaven. Okay. But I still have to deal with my pain. And does God have anything to do with my pain? And you can talk, Josh. You can talk spiritually all you want and get me to weep about your kids being born in a hospital room. But at the end of the day, 
I'm still going through my pain, and how do I look at today's pain in light of the living hope of the resurrection? Well, the second thing we need to do is praise God for our growth in adversity. Praise God for the growth you can have in the midst of your adversity. Now watch this, verse 6. In this you rejoice, that is your salvation. You're rejoicing in your salvation, good. Though now, there it is, though now, that's what I'm dealing with, Pastor. You can deal with heaven all you want. I'm dealing with now. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now he says in verse 6 that we go through various trials if necessary. What's that mean? If necessary, that little phrase, you could circle that. And what that little phrase means is that no moment of pain is an accident in your life. It's not bad luck. It's not chance. It's not like, um, it's not like God like wakes up one day and goes, oh my gosh, I didn't know she was going to go through that. Oh my gosh, I didn't know Josh was going to suffer like that. No, 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 no. God is sovereign. God not only knows everything that's going to happen, he either allows it or he wills it for a purpose. And sometimes what you and I need in our life, this is, see, I got to be careful to be pastoral. Sometimes what I need is I need a little bit of pain so that I can get a lot of growth in my life. Sometimes it's necessary for me to go through suffering. Why? He says because that's what tests our faith. Our faith is tested in the fires of affliction. And the language he's using in the Bible is the language that's used of like a swordsmith who puts metal in that fire. You've seen this in the movies, right? He sticks a metal in the fire and then he pulls it out, gets it hot, and then he hammers it. And he flips it around. He sticks it back in there. He pulls it out. He's like... And he's testing the metal. And by testing the metal in the fire, he's shaping the metal to make a sword for battle. And the only way our faith becomes a sword for the battle of life is if our faith is tested. And why is that? Because when my faith is tested, I got to ask myself, what do I really believe? Who am I? Why do I exist? Who is God? And Peter's saying, man, praise God that even for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved. And he says by various trials, that word various means many colored, all kinds of different trials, big trials and small trials, different colored trials. Sometimes we're tried. Our faith is tested by Black Monday or Purple Tuesday or Red Alert Wednesday. 
And God says, it doesn't matter what the trial is. God can use your pain for your gain as he's testing your faith and shaping you into the person that he wants you to be. No pain is wasted in light of God's work in our life. Peter's saying, praise God for our growth in adversity. And he says, so that our faith will be tested and may be found to glory at the coming of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that way when Jesus comes and Jesus is coming and he's bringing a kingdom where there's no pain and no sorrow and no weeping. He's bringing a kingdom of peace and justice. He's bringing a kingdom that will renew all things. It's not like we're going to heaven. It's heaven is coming down to us in the kingdom of God. And there's a great revelation. And in the book of Revelation, it says there's trumpets. And we're going to be like, what was that? And we're going to learn. There comes Jesus. And the risen, ascended Jesus is going to come. And he's going to bring this awesome kingdom. And if you and I get everything we want every day, if we never are sick, if we have the ultimate house, an ultimate car, and we never have one day of bad circumstances in a fallen world, if we are cursed with getting all the prosperity and all the health we want, and then Jesus comes down, and we look at him coming with the kingdom, and we go, why are you coming, man? I got it made. I don't want your kingdom. I'm so addicted to my own kingdom. I'm so, I've got it made. Why would I want your kingdom? And Peter's saying, praise God, we're grieved to remind ourselves that we live in a fallen world that hates God. Praise God that we go through trials to remind us that this world is not going to last. And those who always get what they want... They are more cursed and they are blessed because those are the people that don't need God. See, that's why Jesus said, Jesus said, man, for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven, it's like, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle because a rich person has the illusion that their king and, and that their kingdom will reign forever. Praise God, praise God. Praise God that we grow in our trials, that we're reminded of what we really need. And this, man, this is such an important point. In fact, I think maybe the burden of this sermon for me is right here. It's right here. Because I'm tempted as a preacher. You know what I want to do as a preacher? I want to solve all your problems. Did you know that? I want you to come and hear Pastor Josh Gutteridge preach, and you're never anxious again. And you're never depressed. And you're never sick again. And you just, your whole life just magically has changed because you hear my preaching and you walk out and you go, my goodness, that is the best ministry I've ever seen. All my problems are solved. That's what I want. And you know what God was showing me in this very passage right here, what Peter was telling these Christians? That the most important thing in our life is not what God is doing for us, but what God is doing in us. That Christianity is not about better circumstances. It's about being a new person who's living for the glory of God, no matter what the cost. I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. 
That's what Revelation says about Christians. And joy and fulfillment in my life is becoming a new person for God. Not having better circumstances. And by all means, man, let us pray about our anxieties. Let us bring our sicknesses to God. Let us, let us ask God to heal us. And sometimes He will and He can. But at the end of the day, that is penultimate to the ultimate reality that Jesus did not defeat death so we could have a prosperous life, but so that we could be new people. Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could have a better car or the American dream. Jesus died on the cross so we could be reconciled to God. And so through the resurrection of Jesus, be reconciled to God. And let him shape you for his purposes and for his will. We're all living for ourselves. And man, that is not life. That's not abundant life. Abundant life is not living for you. Abundant life for me is not living for me. Abundant life is living for the glory of God. What is Christianity? What is it? You bring two guys in here, same height, which if ideally would be five foot seven and a half. Anyways, and they're, they're both, they, they both have graying beards because they're blessed. And you put them in a wheelchair, both of them. And they're paralyzed from the neck down. And you bring them up right here. You bring them up right here. What is Christianity? Is Christianity, if one of them believes, then he gets up out of the wheelchair. And the one that doesn't believe, he stays in the wheelchair. Is that what Christianity is? Or is Christianity, whichever one believes, gets a new heart and a new mind. And on the outside, they might look like all other paralyzed people. But on the inside, they're being renewed by a relationship with God. And you know what we've turned Christianity into? Getting out of a wheelchair as opposed to walking with God. That's what we've done. That's what I want to do. Can God get one of them out of the chair? Absolutely. Of course he can. But the ultimate thing he's doing is he's making that guy a new person. Praise God. Praise God. I wipe my nose. But praise God. Talk amongst yourselves. Praise God that we grow in our adversity. Now, here's the final thing. So how are we praising God to ignite hope in the midst of pain? How are we praising God so we can dance in the rain for his glory? We're praising God for the assurance of our salvation. We're praising God for the growth in our adversity. And finally, we're praising God for the patterns and the promises that are taught to us in Scripture about suffering. I don't know how you're going to remember that third point, but... These sermons go online. You can listen to it again. Look at what he says about Scripture. He, ta- he points us to praising God through the patterns and promises of Scripture that help us in pain. Look at verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you 
in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, you see he's talking about Scripture. He talks about, verse 10, the prophets who prophesied. That's the Old Testament. And then I think, I'm not totally sure, but I think in verse 12, when he talks about those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, that sure sounds like Acts chapter 2. I could put in my margins of my Bible the apostles. So you got the prophets, Old Testament. you got the apostles, New Testament. And he's saying, look at Scripture. Praise God for the patterns and the promises of the Scripture. So what he's telling us to do is he's saying, I mean, man. He, he's not saying, well, go read your Bible and you'll feel better. You know, like, it's a magical book. Read it. And if you read five chapters every day, you'll really be blessed. And if you read 15 chapters every day, well, then you're just 15 times blessed. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he's saying when you read the Bible, he's telling us how to read it. He's saying read the Bible, but read it with the intent of seeing something. And what are we to see when we read the Bible? What are we, what are we supposed to see when we see Abraham and we read about Moses and we read about David? What do we see when we read about Jesus and Peter? What do we read when we read about Esther and Ruth. Peter's saying, here's what you're going to read. Look for a pattern. And what's the pattern? The pattern is this. Suffering comes before glory. That whenever God does something in his people's lives, it is always the pattern of suffering and then glory. Now in the world or through religion, What's religion in the world going to promise you? Nothing but glory. It's always going to go good for you. If you do the right works, if you're religious enough, pray enough, or in the secular world, hey man, go follow your feelings. Follow your feelings. Find yourself. And if you find yourself, I don't know why I'm doing the Hawaii thing, but I always think Hawaii is such a wonderful place. Find yourself. And if you find yourself, then you'll have nothing but glory and no pain ever. And Peter's saying, hey church, hey church, when you read the apostles, when you read the prophets, what you see God doing is first he takes his people through suffering. He takes them through the pits. But then follows the palace. First there's the cross. Then there's the crown. Subsequent to suffering is always glory. Day always follows night in the Bible. Day always follows night in the Bible. And he says, he says to the church, don't let somebody come and tell you that God's not at work in your life. Don't let somebody come and say, well, God must like you because you're going through suffering. No, that might mean he likes you more than anybody else. Because that's what he always does. And why does he take us through suffering? So that we'll lose ourselves, so that, we'll, so that we'll be squeezed of self and we'll look to the Savior and we'll find God and we'll find new life and we'll live for the coming kingdom of God. And as opposed to living for the present, we'll live out of the future. 
as opposed to consuming the present and the immediate, will be contributors to the vision of the coming kingdom of God. As opposed to always being focused on only now, we'll have such a more broader vision of life. We'll have hope. We'll have future assurance because of the patterns and the promises of Scripture. So, of course, yeah, man, I mean, you need to go home and read your Bible. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Read it. God is speaking over you with this. But when you read it, look for the pattern. Look for the promises in the midst of your pain. And you'll hear God speak to you in a new way. He goes on to say, let me just give you this one other thing and I'll be done. He says in verse 12, I love the last clause. He says, man, the salvation and that angels, I love this phrase, angels long to look into what it is that's happening in your life. Angels have something we don't, and we have something angels don't. And what angels have that we don't is they know God's glorious. They know he is worth perpetual praise and glory, that he is everything he's revealed himself to be and infinitely more. The angels and the seraphim and the cherubim praise God constantly out of the fuel of who God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And so they know something we don't because we still are looking through the mirror faded. We're looking through a, a, a blanket of the smoke and the life and the reality of a fallen world. And we'll never fully grasp the glory and the greatness of God in this life but the angels do but we have something they don't and you know what we have that they don't that they long to experience and that they never will we have the pattern of reconciliation that the Bible story is about reconciliation there was a conflict we broke ourselves away from God we're running from God the relationship is not one of peace and harmony. It's one of conflict. And yet through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled. And so we were lost and we were found. We were in darkness. Now we come to light. We were on our way to hell. Now we're on our way to the kingdom of God. We have been reconciled in our relationship with God. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And angels can't understand what it's like to be lost and then to be found. To be blind and then to see. They don't know what it's like to experience grace. And Peter's saying, this is the pattern for your heart. This is the promise. When you're suffering, praise God for the patterns and the promises of Scripture, which give you this story of reconciliation, not only to receive, but to practice in your own life and in your own world. A whole worldview of reconciliation, a ministry of reconciliation, something that's so profound, so great, that angels long to look into. Praise God. Praise God for the pattern and the promise of reconciliation. There's that elevator. Praise God for the assurance of salvation. Praise God for the growth in adversity. Praise God for the patterns and the promises of Scripture. And as you do, you'll walk in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You will have a living hope, a future assurance that you can base your whole life on. 
And when it's good, you'll give praise to God. And when it's raining, you'll be dancing in the joy that he gives to you, even when there's nothing to be happy about. Let us pray. Father, um, we can come to church and we can talk about trials and we talk about suffering and it's easy to preach about. It's easy to open up Bibles and to read verses and to teach them and to hear them. But at the end of the day, we need you to communicate to our hearts what no human preacher can communicate, which is peace in you and a relationship. We know that what you have for us is far more than a religion, but a relationship of peace and strength and a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So help us as believers to praise you. And if we're not believers, help us to investigate in a way to where we're coming alive to who you are. And we're beginning to see how your life connects to our death. How your forgiveness connects to our flaws. How your life connects. Only you, at the end of the day, can do that. And I pray that you would. That you would take a limited sermon that's lacking in eloquence and that you would make it powerful in our lives. And that you would help us to praise you for the assurance of salvation. You'd help us to praise you for growth and adversity. And you would help us to praise you for the patterns and the promises of Scripture. So Lord, as we do so, may we experience this living hope in the midst of our trials. In Jesus' name, amen.